What's up? I'm Miles. And I'm Jan. We're the brothers behind Real Ballers Read, and this is The Book That Blank, a podcast where we talk to interesting people about books that are meaningful to them. Each guest gets to fill in the blank however they like. It can be the book that totally changed my life, the book that's way better than the movie, or the book that makes my stomach hurt from laughing. Before we get started on this episode, we wanted to point out a mistake that we made during our otherwise fantastic conversation with Soul. Uh, you'll hear us misgender the author of the book that we discuss, and we apologize for that. As Soul clarifies in our conversation, George M. Johnson identifies as non-binary, and their pronouns are they, them. We should have done our homework on that beforehand, but hope that you still enjoy the conversation, because we certainly did and learned a lot from Soul and George M. Johnson. Shout out to both of y'all. Thank you for being bold and brave and queer. Welcome back to another episode of The Book That Blank with Jan and Miles Menifee, uh, where we talk to interesting people about books that are meaningful to them. Today, we are here with Soul, and we are talking about All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. So, Soul, do you want to introduce yourself and the book that you proposed? Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Soul. You can find me at The Soul Reader. It's S-O-L. And my pronouns are she, her. And um, I chose the book that explained and examined my blended energies, which is All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Awesome. So first of all, uh, when was the first time that you read this book? Why'd you pick it up? I read this book last March, I believe it was. And um, I think it had just come out around that time. And, you know, I saw it on on the Bookstagram sphere. Like, I saw a few people posting about it. The cover completely blew me away because it is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And then um, the title alone caught my attention, right? So I just knew I had to have it. And once I read it, I was completely blown away. Like... There were so many aspects that I related to. There were so many, like, it was so raw and informational and informative. I mean, it was raw and informative and very vulnerable. And I don't think I had read a memoir that was that transparent and that vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so, and that, like, spoke a lot to my own personal experiences. So, of course, like, it made me feel seen. but it also helped me to understand parts of my queerness and parts of my blackness and how those two things relate and coexist. And so um, just hearing uh, George talk about their book in other like um, interviews and stuff like that, like it just made it come to life even more. And I just love everything they, that they stand for. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm blown away by this book. <laughs> awesome. So would you say that uh, how you just explained it now is a part of why you recommend it so often? It is. Um, especially because this is this book is, um, what's the word? It's, it's a YA book. <laughs> I was trying to think of another word on how to explain oh. it, but it's a YA, it's a YA book which I think is really big because growing up, like I didn't have YA books that talked about queerness and talked about it from a memoir perspective and in the ways that George does. So to have that now and to see like just how 
relevant that these topics are that they're discussing in the book is to queerness and blackness. I, I recommend it to everybody. I think it is such a beautiful story and a beautiful way to capture someone's story. And I just think so many people should read it. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of my top recommended books to anybody. <laughs> uh, so, so even though it is YA, like you still recommend it to people who are, you know, older, younger, like queer, whatever, hetero, anything? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because I feel like, you know, the, the thing with YA that adults typically think is that you can't get anything from it because it's, it's not written for you and that the language might be too simplified. Um, and that's a common misconception, especially with All Boys Aren't Blue, because, I mean, you guys could probably attest to it, too. Like, George doesn't hold anything back. Like, it's not sugar-coated. It's not, like, simplified and dumbed down. Like, it's just real. And it, it goes from their, like, youth up until college. And I think a lot of us, especially those who went through college or have that experience, and especially if you went through Greek life, you can take something from that. Or you might know somebody in your life who lives similar experiences, and that can give you an insight on how to appreciate their stories or how to better communicate with them or understand them more. And so I think anybody can benefit from reading this book for those reasons. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and I think a part of it too, is that at least, Hey, I just graduated, um, in December, but, and, and miles graduated just, uh, what, like a couple weeks ago. Right. I mean, not, technically, you guys another graduated yet, but yeah, yeah. you walked <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like, uh, congratulations, still a milestone. <laughs> I feel like when he's writing through his childhood and upbringing mm -hmm. into college, like there's so many different aspects that are relatable to everybody. And, you know, I do have a lot of overlap. I felt with, you know, the way that George was talking about his own life, but it seems like even if you're reading it as a 40 or 50 year old person, there's still so many aspects that you can connect with because you still have that younger version of yourself as well. Right. You carry around the child all the time. Like, it's possible that him being so open about his own like trauma as a child could, you know, really like awaken it for someone else so that they can like deal with it in a new way, feel like they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really have like an age restriction on it at all. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of the first things uh, that I thought was really interesting in the book was the story of his name and how he found out what his real, what his real name was. I thought that was kind of a funny story because he's like, oh, you know, you don't even know that your name's George. And he was like, what? Um, but I'm <laughs> curious for like you, like, what is what is the, the story of your name and like the, the power of your of your name soul, like growing up and uh, over over time? I think it's a very beautiful name. So I was just curious for for you. Oh, thank you. Um, it it. So soul in Spanish means sun mm -hmm. and it really speaks to like my spirit. Like I've really come to embody my name and uh, kind of live up to it in a sense. Like everyone uh, who typically meets me or knows me is like, you know, like you're a ray of sunshine and, 
you're always like a good energy, a good vibe and everything. And so I think um, being able to just like live up to that name and uh, embody those characteristics of like always being a light and stuff like that um, is what has meant the most to me when it comes to my name. Um, and I do like that it's it's so unique. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Have you, do you know the song uh, Golden by Jill Scott? Yes. Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> I started using the gold hearts on IG and I just like thought of that song immediately. <laughs> I was like, you're a little baby. It's so perfect. The golden Jill Scott vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that so much. <laughs> I love that. And I love that... Um, you all brought up that chapter about uh, identity because like that does like who, what our names are and how we identify ourselves is, is a big thing. Like some people go by their first name. Some people go by their middle name. Um, some people just want to be called by their last name. And so I think it's, it does influence how we see ourselves as we grow up and how we see ourselves when we interact with the world. And so I like that you brought that up. Yeah. was there ever a time when you know you were like I don't know a little more distanced from your name or like didn't take it on as like who you were yeah um there were a lot of like I struggled with depression um as early as maybe like 11 or 12 mm -hmm. and all the way I mean still now like it's it's a ongoing journey for me to always like not fall into depression and to use my coping mechanisms and everything. So there, uh, there were a couple of years, like between like 2014, like maybe 2016, some of 2017, where I was like in a real deep depression and it was ongoing. And I just was not the light that <laughs> I am now, you know? Um, so those were, those were times where I did feel disconnected from myself. And that I wasn't, I wasn't the person that I knew I could be or that I was. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of darkness. And so that's why I speak so heavily about mental health and why it is a big part of my life. Because, uh, you know, everybody does see like the bubbly and happy-go-lucky and like, <laughs> you know, and the, the ray of sunshine. Everybody does see that. But I also want people to know like, that's that was a journey for me that has been a journey for me and it continues to be one um because there have been dark moments where I just didn't feel like I was being a light to myself and to others and I had to do a lot of work with myself in order to get back to myself mm -hmm. so wow. yeah so what what was what did that some of that work look like you know what are some of your like favorite coping mechanisms, things that you might also recommend for other people? Um, I know a lot of it was um, really just sitting with myself and like, this is how I, I describe it, but it's literally like me pulling myself apart and open and going back to the roots of things, like situations or feelings that I probably didn't fully think through, like, what was the root of those? And why did I act or react the way that I did? What could I have done differently? And what do I want that to look like moving forward? And so in a lot of situations, that's kind of like the thought process that I go through. Um, 
the other one is finding a good support system. Um, there were a lot of times where I just felt like really lonely. I had just moved to Houston when I was 24 and that was in 2014. So this was like a new city. I don't really have many friends here and I don't really know anybody. So I'm not going out as much. I'm not like, if, if I'm having a bad day, there's nobody that I can just be like, hey, can I come over and we just like chill and talk or watch movies or whatever. Like, so uh, over the years, like really over the past two years, I've developed like a very strong support system. Mm-hmm. And when I'm having those days when I'm starting to feel myself slip or when I'm starting to um, not feel like I'm on top of my game or I'm just having a bad day, I know that I can call those people and... I can just like express myself. I can be vulnerable as I need to be. I can be as open and transparent as I need to be. And they support me. They, I know that they're always there. And so I think that's really important. Um, if you're someone who struggles with depression or if you are um, just trying to do a lot of personal healing, mm-hmm. I think that is very important to have those people that you can lean on because healing is a very strenuous process and you know we talk about like the joys of it and like how everyone should do it like heal your inner child and all of this stuff but not many people really talk about how strenuous and hard that is and it's like it'll take so much out of you so uh being able to find coping mechanisms and being able to have a support system there is vital to a healing process and as well like find stuff that you love to do like, I love to read. I love to be by water. So if I'm ever feeling down or, like, I need a reset, I'm either going to read a book or I'm going to go, like, sit by the river or go to the beach or go by a lake or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you said you said I like to read. I like to be by water. I'm like, instant friends. I love those things. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that's, that's really my They're t- the best things in the world. They really are. Um, and you actually started getting into my next question, which was, um, you know, thinking of Nanny, right, for for George and how powerful of a of an anchor of a support she was just in herself. I was wondering who, like, either in your childhood or now, has been that kind of a, a light for you um, during like a hard time. Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um. Jeez. Growing up, I I want to say it was my fourth grade teacher who had the like biggest impact on me. I loved that woman and I was so inspired by her. Like she was she was one of those people who really just like did her own thing and her energy was so strong, her presence was so strong and like uh she made me feel seen when I was younger. She made me feel understood and a lot of times I felt misunderstood by my family and by like other people, sometimes friends. And I like, I just felt so connected to her and I felt like she listened to me and that um, she gave me the permission to be myself. Mm. And I needed that. I needed to know that it was okay to be me. And um now, like in my life, um, it's one of my best friends who has been that person for me. Um, his name is Tim, uh, Timothy, but he 
he and I are like of the same spirit. <laughs> and I, I, I know that like anytime I need anything or I, if I just need like to tune in a little bit more to my inner self, he's there and he understands like everything that I'm going through or, or saying and like gives me the best advice, lets me just like, you know, checks me when I'm, when I'm going off, off the Richter, <laughs> but also allows me space to walk through my own problems or victories or whatever I'm going through. And uh, he's been like a, a big light in my life right now. And so I'm very grateful to have him as a friend. Let's go. Shout out Tim. Shout out <laughs> Tim. Seriously, <laughs> DJ Horn. I'm I'm honestly I'm honestly curious, even even though it's like almost a cliche at this point, like so social media's effect on our mental on our mental health, you know, you were you were saying that, you know you had just moved to Houston in 2014. And I'm like, man, like, even since then, like, so so media's impact integration in our lives has shaped and, and changed so, so much. So I'm like curious for you, like, just in this past, like, 10, 10 years time, when like Instagram has, has been out, like, what has been its um, impact on you in general? Ooh, so, um, yeah, yeah, but I I do have an interesting story for that. Um, You know, I I ended up getting Twitter when Twitter was out. I got Facebook when it, like, you Mm -hmm. know, was becoming a big thing. Um, And, of course, I joined Instagram. What Instagram came out, out, I think, in 2012. And I was, I was, um, that was my senior year in college. So, you know, the hype of like Instagram and it being out and everything. So, you know, I was on there. And then um, I want to say about 2015, it started becoming um, a hindrance to my to my mental. Mm -hmm. And I was having a lot of anxiety anytime I got on the app. I just like couldn't I, I didn't find any joy on it. Like it was. I, I just, I didn't know what my purpose was on there. And I wasn't like really posting as much. Like I had stopped posting a lot on social media. And so I think in 2016, I deleted Twitter and I deleted um, my Facebook. And I still don't have those. Um, and then I ended up deleting Instagram just like randomly one day. Like I was, I used to be a Spanish teacher. So I'm at like, it's the, the morning. I'm waiting for my kids to like come to class. And it just hits me like, go and delete Instagram. So I went and deleted Instagram and I had been off of it for like two, two and a half years. And then in 2018, or was it, I think 2019, I created my uh, bookstagram. Hmm. And so not being on Instagram gave me a lot of time to really just live and not and like work on my mental health and work on how I relate to social media and how I want to use it in my life because before I think it was just like it wasn't an escape but I was just and I I probably could have been like comparing myself to other people like oh I'm not traveling as much or I'm not doing as much and like that was just taking a toll on me and so I had to remove myself from it 
And then when I created my bookstagram, I knew how I wanted to use my platform. I knew that if I felt like I needed to be off of it for a little bit, that to just close it. And to also, I think, I I haven't heard too many people talk about this, but curating your feed is very important. Like the stuff that you choose to see can affect you mentally and can affect you like physically and emotionally. Mm. And so um, on my bookstagram, I curated to where I'm usually only following people who are also bookstagrammers or who are also also reading because then that's what is stimulating my mind anytime I open the app. And so I'm not feeling boggled down by a lot of things. I'm actually feeling uplifted. Uh, The community that I've created on there is incredible. So it's always love. And I feel like I'm intellectually stimulated anytime I'm on Instagram now. And so that's a great feeling. And then like when I'm too busy for it or like when I'm just like not in the mood to scroll or engage, I can close it. And I'm completely fine with that. Like I don't end up having FOMO (laughs) and like having to stay on there for hours because I don't want to miss out on anything. Like I have a healthy relationship with social media now. So that's that's for anybody. If you end up feeling like you need a break from it and you need to delete it, do it. It will help. (laughs) No, that's that's really funny because like Jen and I had a similar path and like we both had personal Instagrams at some point and we deleted those. And then when we got our bookstagram, it just felt like, right, like we had the curated feed. We weren't like following other friends, just like comparing our personal lives. It was about like yeah. passion that, that made it a lot better. Um, I think even, even those first, like this first half of the year that, that we've been on it though, has been like its own journey, journey, journey though. And I think we've changed like a lot. Uh, Cause really like, like all of 2020, we were off, off the grid, offline, everything, just reading books like every day. And we've even have felt like we're like reading less now, uh, which is, is kind of sad, but like, just, yeah, just part of it, part of like putting ourselves out there. And yeah, it is, it's definitely a journey in, in the same, same way though. Yeah. What uh, inspired y'all to create your bookstagram? Because you have a very unique like lane. Right. And I love that so much. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, growing up, you know, people would immediately peg us as like athletes of some sort, tall black brothers. Um, and that was okay up to a point. It did start to get really annoying. Um, but our mom would always remind us that real ballers read. You know, she was saying, like, hey, hey. Uh, you know, anybody, well, not anybody, right? But like, obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into sports, but to commit that kind of time, energy, effort into, uh, co-curricks like that, as well as in stimulating your like intellectual life and being able to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, comprehend complex topics, like speak clearly and like communicate how you're feeling. All of those things are incredibly important as well. And her like constant reminder, real bars read after a while really stuck with us. You know, there, there were definitely phases when I was pretty like tired of reading just off of school. But once we got into college, and started to read a lot more on our own. Um, we turned it into a blog at first, and it was like this this WordPress site, you know, where we put our book reviews. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows about it but me and Miles. And <laughs> on that for like what two, three years, oh, exactly. and 
you know, we're, we're in the middle of the pandemic, like, Hey, if we are really about, you know, connecting with, you know, our current friends and future friends off of things that we really care about, like reading books and all of the things that we're learning, um, then we have to go where more people are, right? You know, you can have a website, which is great, but obviously it's way easier to connect with people over something like Instagram or, you know, a, a bigger, higher concentration of people. Um, and yeah, even then it was still, it was still really tough. I think navigating onto Instagram just because we really learned like so much of how messed up the entire like social media system is, whether it's like the business, environmental effects, health effects on individual people and society generally. Um, but again, it was that sense of, hey, if we're putting out something that's like really positive um, and something that we truly believe in, then, you know, that that can't hurt. And that's how we kind of looked at it. Um, and we've definitely learned a lot, grown a lot in the process. And you're seriously goals for just what you were talking about too. Because <laughs> we've we've had like little um, little steps along the way in terms of building more of a community on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the pandemic really did remind us, it's like, hey, if we're not using this, then we literally have nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. it's so much easier to connect with people through the means that you have, um, especially when you're like in your apartment all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the more that we just continue to show up for it, we're really just looking for that same life affirming, like community building aspect that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and you guys are on your way there. Like, I, I, I love your platform and I think like it, it's just going to keep growing from here. So I'm excited to see to witness it thanks thanks yeah we're we're trying to do something a little different too just by featuring like lots of our friends on the page too um haven't really figured out why exactly <laughs> i don't know it is like i guess we're thinking of it like it's bigger than us and the more the more people that you can see like reading um it not only gets our friends a little more excited to feel like they're a part of the process but it's also like hey like there's a lot of great books out there and a lot of people that are reading, which you don't know yeah. really like if you don't ask or you don't see a picture of them. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to connect back to the book a little bit, but to, you know, of course, hone in more on this um, passion of, of books and, and, and reading, like one of the quotes that really resonated with, with me from the book uh, was when George wrote that the greatest tool you have in fighting the oppression of your black blackness and queerness and anything else within your identity is to be fully educated on it. Knowledge is truly your sharpest weapon in a world hell-bent on te teaching you stories that are so simply not true. I was curious like what this passage meant to you and if, if you agreed on like being fully edu educated on your identity uh, was like your your greatest tool against your oppression. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that's a really good quote. Um, do you remember what page that's on? Yeah, I do actually. Um, I have it dog dog eared. Uh, it was on page one hundred four. 
And I usually take notes in the notebook that I have all of my like stuff <laughs> and I cannot find it. And I'm so upset. So I know it's, it's probably packed somewhere, but. Uh, Lincoln during, during this. Oh, yeah. And how yeah. history books were all wrong and whitewashed. Yeah, so I think um, I I agree with George on that on that um, sentiment of knowledge being your greatest tool mm. because anybody and as we as we see anybody can tell you anything about history or about um, blackness and queerness and it may not necessarily be true it may not necessarily be true to your experience and so. Um, if you just believe anything anyone tells you and you don't do your own research or get the truth, then you kind of end up living based on lies. And that can, um, that can warp how you view yourself. That can warp how you view others and how you, um, interact with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for me, like understanding my blackness and understanding my queerness, especially with my queerness, has come down to me having to do a lot of research on queer events that led to the fight for LGBTQIA rights and those people who have paved the way for, for people who identify as queer to exist in this world and to exist without there being hate and without false information on where the, where the community is going. And so um, I think that is a really, a really good quote to bring up because if you, especially in the sense of oppress of being oppressed, right? Um, so to have working knowledge of how systems work, mm-hmm. how systems have continuously to oppress Black and queer people, and to really have that knowledge and that history of how those systems benefit themselves and harm others is the tool you need in order to demolish those systems. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you have no working knowledge on how these systems have oppressed black and queer people, you're most likely not gonna fight for it because everything that they've taught you to believe, you're gonna believe, you're gonna mm-hmm. believe that's true. And you're not gonna know to question those things or to fight against them. Um, so I think it is important for us to constantly um, constantly research, constantly learn, and constantly seek out knowledge that helps us to understand our Blackness more and our queerness more um, in order to continue to fight for our humanity and our rights to live in this world. 100%. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was yeah. Oh, thank you. To, like, another quote that he, he, he had about how, like, you know, you almost don't even know that you can exist until you've seen someone else who who has. You know, I'm trying to think of what. Yes. Oh, sometimes you 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 don't know you exist until you realize someone like you existed b- before. Uh, so I'm yes. curious too. Like, is is there someone for you? Uh, for him, it was it was his cousin Hope. Um, I think that was really you know just like a, a, a shining example for, for, for George uh, that he, that he could be who he was like, do you have someone 
uh, in mind? Um. Ooh. That's that's a really good question. Elementary, middle, and high school. I went to predominantly black high schools, uh, like black schools. I mean, and so I I did interact with other ethnicities and other cultures. I did have those like experiences outside of school. Um, but when it came especially down to queerness, mm. um, once I got into college, I wanna say it was it was probably seeing um, seeing who who I used to watch a lot of America's Next Top Model. And it was Jay and Mr. J, I think that who <laughs> kind of like were they probably were like one of my first introductions to queerness being on TV and, and being in my life. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see them like fully be themselves was probably a like moment where it was like, okay, like that's, you know, that's okay. And I think just over my life, just being able to see how people, um, just being able to see people be themselves and be themselves fully and truly um, mm -hmm. has given me the permission to, to be that way 100%. Um, so I don't think, I, I can't think of any like one person that, that was that example for me. I, I think it was just like a lot of people over time. Right, right. it's more of a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is this is kind of related in terms of process too. Is that for George? You know, football was a huge part of like his life growing up. At least in in terms of like once he proved himself on the playground, and then you know he started uh, with track and field. And I thought he did a great job of talking about how this this interplay between like the activities and sports that you do and like your, your masculinity or femininity or blend of both. And as you know, an athlete yourself, I was wondering, you know, how sports influence how you see yourself or how others see you, um, you know, growing up, you know? So that's a really good question. Um, I was like the biggest sound boy growing up. So I, I loved like playing all the sports and I usually always played with the boys. And that part of the story, like with Georgia and uh, all boys are in blue really resonated with me because while, while they were like fighting being hyper feminine, I was well, like hyper masculine. I was fighting being hyper feminine and like, I didn't, I didn't rec I didn't, um, identify as much with my femininity when I was younger. And so like I did, I did gymnastics. That was like most of my like athletic career, um, because it takes up so much, so much of your time in life. Um, and then when I got into high school, I started exploring more with like track and competitive cheerleading and cross country and stuff like that. I tried basketball. Yeah. I, I, I can shoot, but I have no hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> basketball, me and basketball just weren't friends <laughs> um but sports really did affect me in the terms of perfectionism 
Mm. And that is something that I am still working through. Like two weeks ago, I had a breakdown because of perfectionism and failure. And uh, especially with gymnastics, like you're aiming for a perfect 10. Um, everything that you do has to be pretty much flawless. And so um, I think that having having that expectation in a sport and then especially in a sport that I was so involved in for so long um really ended up taking a toll on me outside of the sport and so while while gymnastics taught me a lot about discipline and a lot about like depending on myself to perform and a lot of about um like just the way our bodies can move and being in touch with your body it also like affected my my mentality on perfectionism and what that looks like and always like being at the top of your game and always being number one. And uh, that was me. Like I was that girl that placed number one, that had the high scores, that was like really good on the team. And so anytime that I deviated from doing well or like doing things precise, it affected me tremendously, hmm. almost to the point where it was like, I don't want to put, I don't want to look it. I don't want to look vulnerable. I don't want to look weak. I don't want to mess up. And so that is something that like I continuously struggle with, with it's okay if things aren't perfect. It's okay if things, if you mess up. And so um, my, like growing up, I, I can see how that like factored in big into my life and having these high standards for myself. And um, also like, just how it manifested with how I identified my masculine energy and my feminine energy. Like anything sports to me had a lot of masculine energy attached to it. Hmm. And I think a lot of that came from just being a kid and playing with the boys and seeing that boys always wanted to play sports or like always wanted to be involved in sports and the girls did not. Hmm. <laughs> and so I think mentally I associated masculinity with sports and uh, femininity with not playing sports or at least not playing the sports that I was interested in, even though gymnastics is very heavily female, uh, dominated and geared towards that. Um, but it, it's a badass sport. So to me, it was like, yeah, like not many people can do this. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Um, it, you know, that play, I hope I answered the question. I mean, I'm like going on a tangent, but, <laughs> but it, it did play a big, a big part of my life and it continues to in ways that I didn't even imagine. I mean, like right now I'm going for my master's in athletic training, so I'm still going to be surrounded by sports. So I'm still having to like train myself to not think so much as a perfectionist and to know that things are okay to mess up and that like, it's all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you, when you like, I guess when you're in a high stress situation or there's just a lot of pressure that you're feeling and you realize like, oh snap, like this is perfectionism coming in. Like, what is, what is that next step after that? Right. Where once you notice it, how do you like, I, I guess, sit with it or, you know, remind yourself that it's okay. You know, like what, what is that process like? Um, so I'm still working through that. Um, <laughs> I lately, what I've been trying to do is just deter my mind from thinking about it because I, I realized like the longer I sit and think about it, the longer I nitpick at it, 
and the more it just replays and replays. Mm -hmm. So I try to um, feel what I need to feel and then let it go. And that has been like my mantra for almost everything. Like last year I started on this big like spiritual journey for myself and I did a lot of like healing last year. So that was one of the quotes that I constantly lived by was that just feel what I need to feel, honor those feelings, know that like clearly I'm feeling this for a reason and feel what I need to feel and then let it go and figure out why we're feeling those things and how to overcome feeling those things and what we need to do after feeling those things. So maybe that is like just reading. Maybe that is like just going sit by water. Um, maybe it is just talking to a friend. Um, and so I, I'm still developing my coping mechanisms with it, but those have been like the things that I have done so far to help. And, and it's, it's, it's been helpful, but yeah, I'm working on catching myself sooner than later. So, yeah, yeah. no, I'm I'm sure that's really hard work. So, like just just what you're doing right now, super is already is already amazing. It is, yeah. It's so it's so hard. They don't tell you that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so hard. <laughs> so I I really want to know like how did you all relate to the book because. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like y'all don't identify as queer, y'all identify as straight, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. So how did how did your experience as a black straight man, uh, like how did this book influence your life and your thought process and mindsets? Mm. Deep question. <laughs> Very deep. Very deep. Yeah. <laughs> Miles, you look like you're like on the edge of saying something. I'm away. Like, the thinking man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's just so much power in it being a story of like child childhood and young adulthood. Um, because I was just like, man, I was so unaware of any of these things in any of my classes, class, class, classmates growing, growing up, like, like, it, I don't even know to like, think that like someone uh, could be going through such a complex personal societal, like, not problem, but just challenge, like so young in their lives, because like, it was so, it was so clear that, you know, he felt all the pressures, all the terrible biases and um, hatred, you know, towards folks with his identity from such a young age. And I think just now having that appreciation for like that entire world of stuff that I like just didn't even know about. Um, just, yeah, I was just like, man, like the things that we put children through, like to, to think that like, we right that we give all this hate uh towards someone who's just like trying to grow and figure out how to live in the world um was pretty incredible incredible i think i'm i'm trying to think there's that's only like the tip of the ice iceberg though you know for what this has done i'm just trying to mm -hmm. think or explain everything else um hmm. yeah i don't i don't even know i think 
the one difficulty that I've personally had is like, I feel like I will put, you know, my interactions or like group, groupings with like uh, black queer media or, or art in like the same group. So like when he, you know, so when I saw the title of the book, like, oh, like of course the, the first that I thought that I have was to Moonlight, move, move, move the movie. And then he, you know, brought it up at the very end. Is, that was why he titled it that. And mm-hmm. right, what I'm not trying to, trying to do ever is like package or, or group these things uh, just because they're like quote unquote queer. Um, because I think like this, this book also showed me that there's just a whole range of experiences within that identity too. Um, him even talking about hope, um, all those, all those, all those things. I'm, I'm, I'm just like trying to identify more with the, with, with, with the community and like, uh, and like, a not trying to other other them away um because i i think putting lgbtq people in their own box makes it seem like you know i can't share space love all all of the feelings with with them um because i yeah because i could all just see see that a lot of my uh other black hetero peers will just kind of um I know I'm kind of rambling now, but yeah, I guess I just... No, you're good. good. Yeah, just just kind of, right, seeing it as its own world or like as its own blocked off community that they're not a part of. And I'm like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Like we share space with with these people like every day. They're not these people there. They're very much us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See yourself in them too, um, but right. I think part of my process is like, or part of my process with all these things is like stopping the urge to see it as other and see it as like me and to connect um, and not di- distance. I think that's that is what this book has like developed me along the the process of uh, doing. I love that so much. Yeah. That is so beautiful. And I'm, I'm so glad you said all of those things. Thank you. Yeah, I really didn't know how to, how to say it because I've never articulated it. But yeah. But that was perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, was really good. And for me, obviously, like all of that goes for me as well. Uh, but I think like in the process of reading the book um, in George's life, there's this there's this combination of blackness and queerness, but there are also times when it's described as like just being different. And I, I feel like that word definitely registered with me um, because growing up, I did feel really different. Um, you know, we were like mostly in PWI schools, uh, but we still had like a really strong connection with the rest of our family in Dayton. So we'd be going from like, you know, sticking out at our school to sticking out at our church or like other like social events with mostly black people. Um, and then of course, all of that like scaled up even more once we went to boarding school and into college. Um, 
where we're just so different or I felt so different that it was really incomprehensible to a lot of people, you know, where like mm-hmm. you, you can, con- you can kind of feel in this really weird way, people trying to like box you in and label you certain things um, that you aren't. And it feels like very um, dehumanizing in a sense. And I felt like even reading George talk about his process of coming into like who he is and having to navigate all of these like labels and like judgments that people put on him externally um, is, is an incredibly like intimate process that has to some extent it, it does have to do with like who we're attracted to, but it also is just about like how we like grew up, you know, and yeah. And I feel like that's what makes this book so like transcendental from like just being about like a specific group of people, because it really is like a story of me and my brother and our sister and like lots of other people that we know, you know, and I'll add to that uh, in terms of like the relation to other, like, you know, uh, hetero, hetero people, right. That miles was like making a, quick reference to is that growing up I had this like this really strong sense that you know I like if I was around somebody who was coming off as like who was queer um I should have no problem with them because like if I'm comfortable in myself in myself then the idea is making sure that they're comfortable in themselves and then we can be friends right and I think that growing up too often, um, like around a lot of the, the boys that I was around in sports and, and whatnot growing up, it was very much like a lot of homophobia, which I thought was just completely like wrong. And I don't know, I don't know like exactly even where I got that sense from, but just seeing how people would like, as Miles said, like box LGBTQIA plus people into like a separate othering section when mm-hmm. I felt like in a lot of ways, it was always possible to have friends, like no matter you know what their background or interests or sexuality was, um, that that just kind of had me grow into this person who could like read this book and really connect with it, um, mm-hmm. even though you know I'm not gay. So it was kind of like- Yeah. Uh, I love that you bring that up because we, we do see like, how, how can I put this? Like men and boys face a lot of homophobia mm-hmm. in relation to women and girls, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you brought up like just your childhood with that with that experience and like where does that notion come from? Like where are we learning that notion and how does that affect how you make friends or who you make friends with. And I love that y'all bring up the, like this notion of boxing LGBTQ in, and that, you know, we're just separate from our blackness or, you know, Mm it, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. It should be like, this is just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from my black experience or, like my female experience or the male experience. And so I, y'all bring up really amazing points and I, I'm so glad to hear both of your thoughts on that. Like, 
uh, uh, I, I'm like I'm tingly now because <laughs> it's like oh my gosh, like yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you, thank you for asking about it too, because yeah, obviously it's something that we think about a lot, and we've probably talked about it too. But um, you know, even even when I got the book, I was like, oh snap! Like, have I ever read a book by a queer author? Like, no, you know, and like I hadn't even thought about it. It's like sure I can have like certain interactions socially and be like, have the mindset for it. But I feel like you really got the ball rolling for me in terms of like initiating, continuing to read more um, and read more in terms of like from queer authors, from queer perspective, uh, potentially YA memoirs too. I don't know if I'm ready for another one. But yeah, I I just, I feel like end of the day, like there's a lot of insecurity going around and like it makes people do like really, really like harmful traumatic things to people off of like your idea of how things are supposed to be. And that's just not, it's just an illusion, you know? Um, exactly. It's really destructive to like other right. people and yourself. Right. I think, mm-hmm. I think like this, this book is so beautiful for, for me too, because I think a lot of the LGBTQ like knowledge or, activism that I've like seen is on social media and I feel like like for me at least like even 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 though all of all of that information and uh facts and stories are like good in in their own way I think my experience with with them has has been more so of like one of like anxiety i think that's more just because of all of the feelings tied to social 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 media in general to where like i'm like afraid of even like you know speak, speak, speaking up or um saying my point of point of view uh, uh things because i'm uh, afraid of getting in trouble for it but like but with a mm-hmm. book you really you know gain a connection to a person to a story that's not just in like a little post or blurb or or tweet that right just allowed me to spend more time um with a point of view that wasn't my 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 own and right just just as jen Jen and i have been saying uh just right is the power of of reading it opens you up to an entirely new world um with the depth and complexity that that you have for your own self and thoughts right so Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this book has really been beautiful from from that point of view. I'm so glad to hear that because yeah, like for for me, uh, you know, I I I have seen a lot more um, a lot more of the gay authors, um, people who identify as gay, write more books than like from the lesbian perspective. Um, there's been a few um, that I've come across, but not many. So usually I am reading a lot of like the gay experience. And so for me, that ends up like opening my eyes to what is it like to live as a gay man? Or like even um, George uh, came out as, I hate to say came out, but let us in into, into them being non-binary. And so, like, what does that journey mean, especially after putting out a book like this? So, you know, um, 
we see that their journey throughout this book was coming into their queerness. But now what does that mean? Like coming into being non-binary. And so for me, like books like this are also eye-opening for the experience. And it gives me like a better understanding of how to be supportive of people who don't have the same mindset as I do, or people who go through different experiences that I may not necessarily have gone through, you know, um, like trigger warning uh, for sexual abuse, but the sexual abuse that they talked about in uh, the book, I've never experienced sexual abuse. So for me, mm -hmm. that, that gives me the working knowledge of being able to uh, be appreciative that someone shared that with me. And also understanding like, how does that factor into your life and your experiences? Because that's not a shared experience for me, you know? And I think those type of things, like being able to read books from perspectives that aren't the same as ours or from people who, you know, may not have the same lived experiences is very important in helping us to understand that we're all not a monolith, that we all come with different experiences and different perspectives. And how can I still respect and how can I respect you and your story while also being comfortable in my own? Mm -hmm. And so like, mm. I, that's why I'm, I'm loving that more uh, queer authors are, are putting their stories out there because it, it's showing you that queerness is not just yep. a one way street and that it's not just like everybody follows this checklist that we all have different experiences. We all have um, different things that brought us into our queerness or that helps us to understand it and to live in it. And so I, I think it, it helps a lot with, with understanding uh, queerness, mm -hmm. whether you're part of the community or not. Mm -hmm. and, and George uh, pointed, pointed that out too. I, I think a couple of times during the book when sharing his experiences, like, he would always make side side notes like saying like, yeah, this was my experience. This is how I dealt with it. This is might not be the same for you. I think even like mm -hmm. saying that so clearly, um, they were a, a acknowledging right the complexity and diversity diversity of the queer of of the queer community too. And even they're they're saying yeah to not take everything that I say. And directly implement it into your own life because your life mm -hmm. is you know, so just as you were saying um right right yeah man so much so much here i'm trying to think of any last questions to, to ask they're more fun jen do you have <laughs> that, oh uh yeah, I I thought the the Honey Child chapter was hilarious. Oh my gosh! Uh, I yes. gotta ask, have you ever you ever made up any new lingo that you're really proud of? <laughs> um, I don't think I, I don't think I made up any lingo. Um, well, through text, like people say I've made up stuff. Um, but it's not anything that's like. It's not like Honey Child. Like, it's not on that honey level. Honey Child is um, like <laughs> Yeah. But what's funny is, like, I, I've heard that a lot with, like, older Southern women mm. will say that. Like, Honey Child. Da -da 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 -da. And so what? I thought that that chapter was, like, amazing because of that. 
But like, I'll say like, okay, like, and I'll spell it like that H O K A Y. Um, and like when I spell out ass, like it's just E Z Z instead of A S S. Um, and like shit is S H Y T. <laughs> and so, I, but I haven't like, <laughs> I haven't made, like, I don't think I've made up uh, any of my own lingo. It's just like variations of stuff that already exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fair enough yeah no that was that was just so that was so funny and again and again uh you know that, that this one actually because of how funny it was because of how pure it was i was like pissed by the end of the chapter because like it was clear that all of these adults were conspiring to like you know protect their kids and box george mm-hmm. to being like you know uh unsuspecting young boy or whatever and it was just like let these kids be yo <laughs> like they're having fun exactly <laughs> like why are adults exactly mess stuff up you know <laughs> like right and i think i think that speaks to like the times as well like i know growing up as a child in the 90s like you know you you saw a lot of like queerness being put on hush or like you're trying to like adults trying to hide it or like you know, uh, steer their kids away from anything that remotely dealt with queerness. Mm -hmm. And so just like something like that, like just coming up with a word that you use with your friends, you know, like think of all the stuff that we've done and said with our friends that it's like, it's not supposed to get back to the adults. Like, stop ruining our fun. And I I think that does play a lot on, you know, ignorance and like, Mm-hmm. homophobia and everything like you you just don't want your child to turn into that and quote unquote and so uh so you try to like deter it and you try to like you said like box somebody else off to where they're not affecting and influencing your child which is just crazy yeah but it's, yeah it's, ridiculous. it's like y'all got too many problems to be dealing with your own self you know what i'm saying like thank you <laughs> Like adulting is hard. How did y'all have time <laughs> to adult and worry about this? Like it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> but the reason, like I had said that this book like helped explain and examined um, my blended energies was the energy of masculine and femininity and how like they can coexist. Because throughout the book, like as I was reading it, like I saw a lot of that. Like when they would talk about being effeminate and than doing something that would be considered more masculine, like joining uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, like, you know, uh, or just like playing football or whatever, like being able to have the agency to identify with my feminine energy and identify with my masculine energy and figure out how to intertwine those and that they don't have to be separate. Like, I don't have to just like girl things or I don't have to just like boy things, you know, they can coexist. And I have the... Uh, permission to to do that and to live that way and so uh that this book really like amplified that for me and especially uh it made me think of like when I was younger about trying to figure out that like fine point of of honoring feminine energy and honoring masculine energy and not having to separate them but figure out a way that that they can coexist Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and I mean, I even really appreciate just the way that you put that as the blank for this book because mm-hmm. that's something else that I've like reflected on a lot too is how 
you know, I'll love like boxing, right? Or, you know, being a part of a frat. And then I'll do these things that, well, you know, like I love to cook. And every time I'm cooking, I'm thinking about my mom, right? Because I used to cook with her. Yeah. Like, or I love doing my hair, right? It's like, are those like, yeah, it's like how strict are these labels of like masculine and feminine when like they're just a part of me and like what makes me feel good, you know? And I really feel like that's what you're saying here about like blending mm-hmm. energies because, you know, I feel worse when I'm only thinking, oh, I should only be doing like the, the quote unquote masculine things or only the uh, effeminate things, right? It's a matter of like the balance and what really like affirms me that matters rather than mm-hmm. like adhering to the like the labels or the how they come off to other people itself. Exactly. Yeah. Because the thing the thing is like everybody everybody operates with both energies. Right. One just may be a little bit more prevalent than the other, yeah. but everybody has feminine and masculine energy, you know? And I, I think a lot of people confuse energy with masculine and feminine gender roles mm-hmm. which are completely different you okay. know yeah. so when we talk about energy it's like everybody has these these two energies it's just which one like shows up a little bit more than the other and when do they show up mm-hmm. like for me it, I'll, I'll put it in, in the scope of like dating for me if i'm dating someone who is more masculine centered energy m- my masculine centered energy like shifts downward and my feminine energy becomes more prominent. So I don't feel like I have to like necessarily be so like protective or uh, mm-hmm. just like, you know, I, I don't want to use aggressive, but aggressive in the sense of just like more forceful, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, like I can be a little bit like feminine energy is softer. It's, it's, is nurturing. And so I feel like I can tap into that a little bit more when I'm like single, like I am now, <laughs> my masculine energy tends to increase because I'm, I'm very in charge of me. I, the energy that I'm putting forward is very much so po- more powerful. Mm. And so like, you know, that's the balance, like finding that balance and knowing when I can like turn one up, when I can turn one down and the other one takes over. And so, uh, but I don't have to adhere to gender roles. Mm-hmm. you know so i i think it's i think it's great for um people to understand how like energy works and how we we relate to our energy and the energies of other people and that it doesn't necessarily equate to what roles we are boxes we have to be placed into and adhere to so yeah and i don't know exactly where this fits in in that like dynamic between um gender roles and energies but I think something that I've noticed in my own like spiritual emotional journey, right, is just how how little I learned as like a young boy to like have emotional intelligence and be able to like communicate mm. how I'm feeling with other people. Um, and yeah, it's not really to blame like anybody in particular. I just feel like off of the people that you see on TV who are like coming off as very masculine. They don't talk much. They definitely don't like share their feelings in any sort of like intimate way. Um, You know, like, yeah, it's just, it's just not really a thing. Like it wasn't a thing in sports or in school, especially when you're already like 
feeling like, you know, anything that you do can have people not interested in you anymore, or like mm-hmm. write you off and whatnot. So yeah, as I've, as I've grown up and just really started to pay attention and be sensitive to like how I'm feeling, um, I've started to notice too, like how much I was lacking it for so long, you know, and it, and it's yeah. like, again, destructive when you don't know how to do those things because you know, that that's, that's a lot of suffering and silence. Right. And it's separating yourself from people around you who could really be there for you. You could really be there for them. Um, and just off of this idea that like, you know, men aren't supposed to be like in tune with their feelings and they're not supposed to feel anything at all. It's just aggressive mm-hmm. aggression and like control. And it's just, it's, it's not healthy, you know? Her, yeah. That, yeah. I, that's a good thing that you brought that up. Have you ever ever seen the movie uh, Black Is Black Ain't by Marlon Marlon Riggs? No, I haven't. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, y'all gonna have to put me on. <laughs> no, but there's a there's a part in that movie where um so there's a man who dares dared to like throughout the documentary named Bill Bill Jones. And at a random part in the film, um Marlon Riggs like asked him. Um, like describe the woman in in you, and then he goes on this like beautiful, like minute minute long speech describing like this divine person and like how he views the woman in him in 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 him, him, him himself. And you know, Jen and I were brought to to tears at several points during that movie, but that was one of one of the points that always resonated for me personally because right I just like I never thought of that question prior to him asking that and and all of the love that Bill Jones like gave and even describing who the woman was in him I was like wow like imagine me after going through the process of even thinking about like right all of the ways that you know woman and feminine energy manifest in like me um like who am i after that process process like you know um more poetic cool spiritual all these things i'm like wow (laughs) definitely definitely go watch the the movie yes yeah it's crazy it's so good we uh oh yeah you gonna have to dm me that title yeah so i can go Uh, and watch that because that sounds beautiful it is. I mean, we were doing like a Black History Month project mm-hmm. and Marlon Riggs was the last person that we like made a post about and we watched uh-huh. his Black Ain't for it. And we were literally like crying at like several points. <laughs> we were like just looking at each other after it ended. Like we couldn't even say shit. We were just looking at each other like. No words. Yeah, exactly. No words. No words at all. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful film. And it definitely does, you know, uh, it, I mean, it does talk a lot about the same things that George is talking about in this book, right? Just around uh, how queer is black, black is queer, right? And yep. um, and this whole idea of like, you know, just the diversity, the complexity of people across like sexuality, gender, race, like, well, no, obviously like class, um, age, whatnot. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, I mean, it's it, it was it's a radical film. It's, it's beautiful. It's super fun. And 
It sounds like it. I'm gonna have some Kleenex next to me because clearly I'm gonna cry. <laughs> you gotta get ready, so for real. And and uh, and and again there too. You know, I, I remember after we watched it and like I, I kind of like came back <laughs> to being like, wait, what the fuck just happened, right? Because because my other question was, how is it that I went so long without ever hearing of Marlon Riggs? You know, and right. again to what you're saying about the '90s, right? Like he's he's coming out he's so bold and brave and queer and people aren't messing with it at all and then it's just kind of hush hush and then we find it like on our own and it's like whoa right like, yeah i i felt like that was such a that was such a like key part of all boys aren't blue as well it's just like we've talked about it before right education but you know he talked about it in so many different ways where he's learning he's being educated from like porn and from like stuff he sees on the screen not directly from any like teachers or adults because they're too you know against it and whatnot Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's just you know I I guess that's that a part of that process of learning is that everything around you can can go on to like shape how you see things yeah books other books movies shows that you want to put us onto too uh, you oh gosh you know i have them for days um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's see I, i'm gonna get i'm gonna grab some uh, uh oh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if soul can see them oh no oh. i don't have them up high enough he was he was barking earlier huh I know. Oh, there's a little you know, puppy. Yes. Yeah, you gotta pull him up, Miles. I will. I <laughs> okay. I think. Okay. I think I'm ready. okay (laughs) so okay i'm gonna give three like more queer recommendations so i don't know if you have heard of james baldwin giovanni's room yeah yeah so good so good so the thing about this book is that it was um of course controversial uh when he wrote it um he wrote it when he was in paris i believe um i know it does take place in paris but it is from the perspective of a white man, an Italian man, and he didn't write it from the black perspective because he knew that he would have to address race in it, and he didn't want race to be a factor in it. Wow. So, but it is, oh, it is so beautiful. It is like poetry on a on a page. So that would be a good recommendation. Um, and of course, it's James Baldwin, like. <laughs> Um, the one I'm currently reading right now is Black Boy Out of Time by Hari Ziad and I just started this one Uh, the prologue made me want to cry because it is it is so beautiful so this is another good queer book and then like I said like these are a lot of men uh, and non-binary people that I'm reading Um, but one that is also a memoir is Ordinary Girls by Jaquita Diaz and she doesn't heavily talk about queerness, but she is queer and she touches like she touches on it here and there. But this memoir was the first memoir that made me cry 
aside from All Boys Aren't Blue. Hmm. So these will be other good ones to read. Um, and then I don't know if y'all read or come across Black Buck by Mateo Escaraport. So good. I would love to hear y'all thoughts on it. it. It is really good. So that would be another good recommendation. And then um, I don't know if y'all heard of this one, um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Renietta Lodge. This one is the book that got me inspired to create my bookstagram because it has so much historical information. Like it's written from the British, uh, the Black British experience and, and history. So that was amazing to like get to learn about that because, you know, I mean, we always learn about American history and we never really touch on like British history in, in schools and stuff like that. So this one was really good to read. Um, and I wanted to talk about it so much. So that's what that's why I created my books. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so those would be like other books that I recommend, like just off the top. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That's a great range. Great, great, and beautifully persuaded. I, I want to read. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a very versatile reader, and like, so I I have something from like every little bit bit and piece and area. Have you read the color purple? I did not. I have not. Uh, I've only seen the movie. And then, Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo. Have you heard of that one? Mm, what is that one? Okay, I so, think y'all did y'all did a podcast episode yeah, on that, yeah, right? On both of those, right? Them up uh, yeah, I, it was funny. Like I, I was talking about, you know, um, George Johnson being the first like openly queer person that I've like read a book. But then I was like, wait a second, like I just read those two, and the thing about <laughs> right, it, and those are those are queer, yeah. right? Exactly. And, and then I was like, wait a second, Baldwin too. I was like, hold on, you know. But <laughs> but uh, but what's special about Sassafras, Cyrus, and Indigo is that. Um, according to Forrest, your favorite librarian, shout out Forrest, wherever you are. Um, uh, it was one of the first representations of like lesbian love in a book. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, that was another book that just like blew me away. Totally amazing and really well written. Um, the color purple also, you know, definitely has a lot of, uh, reflections intimations just on blended energies and what that means right i mean yeah. actually, now that i think about it a lot of our conversation today is incredibly relevant for that book as well just seeing how this community of people um you know starring Celie and her sister Nettie, of course uh all manifest like blended energies but are obviously navigating these like strict patriarchal roles you know and mm -hmm. Like that was another book that made me cry for sure. Like I've been talking like everybody that I like talk to about books right now. I'm like talking about the color purple. You got to read it. Um, we watched the movie first too. And mm -hmm. you know, it, I, I don't know, I guess when it was a matter of like timing for us, but it definitely felt kind of soapy. We didn't really appreciate it. <laughs> but obviously yeah. when you read the book, so the book was better <laughs> you're right there. It's like, uh, uh. <laughs> totally different. I think there were certain things happened in the movie that happened in the, in the book that don't even happen in the movie at, yeah. at all. Yeah, uh, true. Very true. Mm -hmm. A whole character arcs being cut off and cut short. Yeah. It's definitely worth um, like a read for the book. 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and read and read those two that y'all just said. Those sound really good. And I, I, I have been debating whether I wanted to read the color purple or not. Uh, but now I'm so so. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> what were you debating on it for? Because I didn't know if I really was interested in reading the story, hmm. especially like after watching the movie. Because usually, usually I'm a like book first, movie second type of girl. Um, but. So once I saw the movie, I was like, mm, I don't know if I really want to read the book. But it, like from from this mini conversation, like <laughs> I, I think I I think I'll give it a try just to like be able to talk with you guys about it. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I was, I was reading a biography of Alice Walker, and or it, it wasn't a biography; it was a common commentary about the book. But oh, I think it was um. In the search of of the color purple by Salonucha Tale, yeah, yeah. that Alice Walker was like the most hated woman in like the history of America, uh, given mm-hmm. writing the book. So it was literally just so con controversial that when you read the book, and you're just like, what was it over? You're just like, what? Yeah, all the food thought over like. I think that's that's part of reading the, the book for me too. You realize how crazy Americans um, and even the black communities' reception of the book was, um, given how I how I thought how calm it was and like not really much going on. Yeah, but I feel mm-hmm. like that's part of what makes it so radical is like that. That was another pro, like just like how you said the. Um, Black Boy Out of Time book, the prologue made you cry, right? Um, mm-hmm. I felt very similarly with The Color Purple because in the version that I got, Alice Walker writes this forward where she's talking about how like the book for her was really her transformation uh, spiritually going from believing that God was a white man living in a church to seeing God in everything and everyone around her including herself mm. and that alone like i just got tingles just talking about it right now because that alone <laughs> holy crap i was like if that's how you start this book that's what you were thinking of when you're writing this book like, <laughs> right i read because i read that and then for the entire book i'm just paying attention for like what she means right yeah it ends up opening up your reading experience because yeah. now you're just not like following the plot and these characters. You're like trying to piece it to the author now yeah. and like really get into their mind and how these things manifest themselves based off of that. I, oh, that's gorgeous. That yeah. is so freaking yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, really. So that that's part of like what gives me so, so many chills about that book. Um and yeah, and for it to be banned, it's just like you know that's always fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> we love a rebel. Well, <laughs> so thank you. What's what's one book that like y'all would recommend that like you really like? You would want other people to read. Wait for for you to for for you to read or someone else. It could be for me or for someone else. Man. Let's do me. Let's do me. Even though, 
you know, I'm thinking about it just because I'm looking at it now. Um, and it was just one of these strange books that's not on like Instagram a lot because it's old. But I think from just, I don't even know, the point of view of an artist or what it means to be a writer, I, I thought it was like a really great book. And it's this book called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. And basically, like, he talks about what giving gifts has meant in cultures across the world and why it's kind of antithetical to how we live in capitalism now. And, And then connects how, like, being a creative artist, you have to be in this mindset of giving gifts and, like, kind of never worry about how money um, is, connect- is connected to your, to your art in, in kind of a sense that like money, like the thought of money ruins uh, any creative Im- impulse. But like, it's such a well-written book and it's, it's almost, yeah, I don't even know. I just haven't read a non-fiction book that was like as clear and like as, um, original and just it's like thesis and argue arguments and just like informing a lot of a lot of things in my life now um but yeah it that was a very interesting read uh, i will put on now because i'm doing it this time yes the, the gift you have to check that one out and what about you what book you got <laughs> does the color purple count because i was just talking about <laughs> i'm just like dang it's like oh it's the only book stuck in my head right now hold on hold on, hold on. I, knew, I knew you were gonna say it i do oh, okay okay yeah it's old yeah i'm gonna have i'm gonna have to uh get that and check that one out i love a good well-written nonfiction book in the erotic life of property right so like even that song <laughs> right <laughs> oh, all right. No, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up, Miles. Because that just reminded me of my uh, my other one. Um, also co-signed by Alice Walker. It's called "The Spirit of Intimacy" by Sabonfu Somme. And uh, so Sabonfu Somme is married to Maladoma Somme. They are both from the Dogon people in like Western Africa, and mm-hmm. they they're they're somewhat of like ambassadors, right? And they. Uh, do a great job of kind of putting the like U.S. centered, Western centered, like mind frame in society in the context of their own culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they are incredibly like life and community affirming. Um, But the spirit of intimacy is like a a great book. It's a short read here. I'll I'll show it to you. Yeah, the spirit of intimacy. Come on, come on, book Rex. Exactly. <laughs> so I love hearing about books that I like. I have never heard of. Ancient. Oh, okay. Things in the way of relationships. Um, I'm just nice. gonna go on a page and see what quote is on there. Yes, come on, roulette. Reading <laughs> roulette. <laughs> All right, roulette again. Hold on one sec. <laughs> <laughs> Roulette again. One sec. <laughs> All right. Um, right. Okay. So 
I'm just getting context real quick. So she says, most people fall prey to aesthetic delusion because of their lack of spiritual groundedness. When you get caught in that, it is like eating ice cream that has poison in it. As you eat the first cup, it tastes good. The second one tastes pretty good. Then you forget, and the next bite becomes lethal. Okay, so, okay. So, so here's context. Here's context, right? So, so she, so she, Damn. she calls out, she calls out like, she calls out uh, American culture, Western culture, whatever you want to call it, for being completely desacralized. So there's no, there's nothing sacred anymore. Um, from her own perspective, uh, the water in the stream, the mountains, the air, you personally, as well as all of your relationships, including your relationships to your ancestors, are sacred and therefore have to be like treated as such. Um, mm -hmm. So then basically from there, she talks about how when that sacredness and the recognition, the honoring of all life and like beauty around you is removed from society and community, it leads to aesthetic delusion, right? Being attracted to appearances of things rather than like seeing things for what they really are. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought for how like short it is to be so packed with so much like insight from, you know, like a, you know, not Eurocentric like perspective of the world it just makes it like really nice. And it, it pairs really well with Lewis Hyde's book because there again, you're talking about like, how, you know, I guess a lot of the fucked up parts of the culture that we currently lived in right now are complete aberrations. When you look at like the, mm -hmm. the whole context of how most people whole, yeah. live their lives. And so when you like yeah. read these books and you're like, oh snap, like there's so many other ways that we could be doing things way better than we are. Um, exactly. Yeah, it just, it really helps. And she does a great job of showing how like those kinds of ideas can translate into improving your own like relationships and community. Yes, that I, I love that. I, I'm definitely picking up both of these. Like, I'm I'm completely sold. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I like that they're they they can be in conversation with each other. So yeah, the pigs, guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. So excited. Thank you for listening in on our conversation with Soul at the Soul Reader on All Boys Aren't Blue, the book that examined and explained my blended energies. If you want to learn more about the book, Soul, or us at Real Ballers Read, then check out the links in the show notes. And if you would like to talk with us about a book that is meaningful to you, please reach out to us on Instagram. We'd love to learn from you. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.